part of Double P Media, doublepmedia.com. Spoiler alert, when this podcast talks about the books of his dark materials, it does so in the context of the most recent book. And when it talks about the television show on the BBC and HBO, it does so in the context of the most recent episode. You've been warned. You're listening to The Dust, a His Dark Materials podcast. I cannot believe that there is only one week left of His Dark Materials, but we've still got this week to talk about, right? And welcome to The Dust podcast. My name is Double M. We're still your eighth favorite podcast out of about four active ones that are covering season three right now. So, you know, again, the math's not that great. But I figured that you may not be liking getting two and a half hour podcasts all in one sitting. Uh, So we're going to break things up this week and next week. We're going to make the music section separate. This is advantageous also because if you're just into my musical analysis and you hate my story analysis, then you can just get this episode and you don't have to listen to the other. Likewise, if you hate the music stuff, you can just skip over this episode and then you can get, you know, your story analysis from Holly and I also. So we're trying this, you know, right at the end, we're trying this to make it to where it's more accommodating to you as listeners so that you can kind of makes it a buffet so that you can choose. Nonetheless, we want to make sure that you are paying attention to the show and we want to hear what you think of the show. I would love to hear what you're thinking of the music as well. So feel free to send tweets to at the dust podcast on Twitter you can also email mattsaudioblog at gmail.com, M-A-T-T-S audioblog at gmail.com. You can leave comments on our website posts, mattsaudioblog.com, M-A-T-T-S audioblog.com. You can use that same spelling for Hive Social and for Mastodon, although my server is not mass.to. It's some other server, so you'll just have to search for Matt's Audioblog, M-A-T-T-S audioblog, all strung together, and you can probably find me there. Or you can leave comments on our YouTube videos. We are part of the Double P Media Network, so look for our videos. They're on their own little playlist, even. You can just get the His Dark Materials stuff if you want, even though I suggest you check out all of the podcasts that Double P Media does because they cover a lot of great shows. And Bubba and Catfish are really funny, as opposed to me. So I, you know, you can have a good time listening to their coverage of Star Wars stuff, of House of the Dragon stuff, all kinds of great stuff that's been out this year. It's been a very busy year for Double P Media. But check out all of those videos. And again, leave comments, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button when you're watching our videos at youtube.com slash C slash the word double, the letter P, the word media. You can also reach out to all their social medias using this spelling. Double PHQ, the word double the letters PHQ. That works for Twitter. That works for Hive Social. That works for Instagram. And that also works if you use it as a spelling for Facebook, facebook.com slash the word double the letters PHQ. Their website is like their YouTube site. It's the word double the letter P, the word media. The reason why we want you to 
send us feedback is because we want you to win something from us. This time around, we are offering Funko Pops, such as this Funko Pop of Mrs. Coulter. Mrs. Coulter Funko Pop, we have one of those. We also have a Lee Scoresby one, the Lee Scoresby Funko Pop as well. And we just saw Lee Scoresby this week. Yay! And he's free and he's with Hester. Yay! There's no more drama there. I love the fact that they've got to say goodbye. And we're going to cover some of his music that was in this episode as well as we get into all of this. Please submit your feedback if you want to make the podcast by the Wednesday after a new episode airs on HBO. So for this week, Wednesday, December 21st. For next week, Wednesday, December 28th. You have until noon Pacific time to get that feedback in, and we'll include it in our podcast with Holly and I covering the story. Also, it will enter you into a contest to win one of those Funko Pops. That's the only way you can enter this contest is to submit us feedback. So we want to hear from you. We'll put all of the names up on a wheel. I'll spin the wheel and it'll be on the YouTube video as well. So everybody can see that I didn't cheat in some way or anything like that. I'm not a cheater. I wouldn't do that anyway. But that, you know, just just for authenticity's sake, that's what we're going to do. I've spoken enough. Let's talk about music, something that I won't sound like I'm rambling about. Well, maybe I will. There is just so much good stuff to talk about this week. I don't even know where to begin. I do know that, at least initially, I want to talk about a couple of things that we haven't paid a lot of attention to this season, mainly because they haven't had a lot to do. Let's start with Ruta Scotty. Uh, rest in peace, Ruta Scotty. We are very sad to see you go, and we hated seeing Sergey go down into the abyss like that. That was just absolutely awful. There was a theme that Lauren created in the Season 2 Music Anthology that was a great theme for Ruta. It didn't get to be used that much simply because Ruta really wasn't utilized all that much at all in the course of the series, but it's still a great theme. If you look on the anthology, uh, look for the track, The Witch of the Lake Lubana, you will find the theme there. And as it was presented in that anthology, it sounded kind of like this. Now, during that sequence in episode six is when we got a couple of quotes of the melody, really kind of against a, a different kind of darker kind of bed than what we're used to. Although there was some tribute to just the tonality of it all, meaning the key that it's in, the fact that it's a minor piece. But when Ruta is first going out on the ledge... Sergei is starting to fly over the place, and she's telling a gunway that Sergei is going to be scouting. It sounds like this. Now, something that's interesting here is that he then shifts the position of where those same shapes come from, but he positions it to where instead of going to the root, it instead goes to the fifth. 
which gives it a slightly different sound. It gives it what we call a Dorian sound instead of a pure minor sound. It's the same melody. It's just kind of positioned on a different part of the scale. And that sounds like this. And it's just shortly after that that the buildup happens and then Sergei falls and we have some other chords depicting the sadness, mostly minor chords depicting the sadness of what is happening there. But as Ruda takes her last breaths, kind of in Agunway's arms, and she calls for the Yakaama, after a couple of short chords, we hear the melody played one last time in the piano very quietly as Asriel sees Sergei, you know, dissipate. And that sounds like this. So pour one out for poor Rudiscotti. We didn't get a nearly enough of you in this season. I'm glad we got what we got, but it wasn't nearly enough. And that's a really great theme. It's a shame it didn't get to get used more throughout the course of the series. Our next topic, Mary Malone. Now, I complained a lot at the beginning of the season that we weren't getting enough of her. We get a whole lot of her in these two episodes, so I can no longer complain about that. I also cannot complain about the way that Mr. Balf has used the entire theme called A New World on the Season 3 anthology. He's converted it into several tracks, uh, one called Malefa from last week, and now we have new tracks as well, one called New Surroundings. And this one is interesting because it's part of the theme that I did not cover back in Episode 33, so I do want to take a look at that. So let's just play what it sounds like for you first. Now this aversion is from this week's official soundtrack for episodes 5 and 6. Again, it's called New Surroundings. It occurs in the first part of episode 5 where Mary is still learning more and more about the Malefa themselves. She's getting acquainted with her new surroundings, which makes this an appropriate title. One thing that I love is that this part of the entire theme, once again, is minor, but it also features a major four chord from time to time. That's what offers a little bit of hope. But that kind of adds to the oddness of this world. So don't worry about that. There's just, there's one note in there you probably noticed where the melody, when it goes down, feels a little strange. What I love about the melodic shape of this is that it climbs high and then starts to work its way back down, right? And then it climbs high again and starts to rise higher. This is the determination, not just of this world, the Malefa, who understand that the Shraff must be saved in order to save their own world. But it's also the determination of Mary 
not just to try and solve their problem, which he's still just trying to figure out what the problem is, but to get to know the Malefa, to understand the Malefa. She truly is this really unbiased, beautiful scientist. So I love how that works in this episode as she's still just getting her footing in this new world. The next part that I want to talk about as far as Mary goes is also from episode five. And the cut in the official soundtrack is called The Amber Spyglass. But what I love most about it is you heard me all in last week's musical analysis emphasizing the Mary Malone stuff, how the bell sounds and and the melody. But here he takes the motive, that triplet motive that we're using. First of all, if you noticed in the prior cut, there's that kind of dun, 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 dun. It reminds you of that Mary Malone motive. This is her in the underneath trying to figure everything out. But then it's blatantly Mary in this particular cut, the Amber Spyglass, which again covers her finding the amber and then figuring out how to use it in order to see dust. And what Mr. Balf does is he actually, again, using themes and taking them and breaking them apart as dichotomy. First, he presents the serpent theme as she's looking for the amber. And this is the theme that we know from season two. So keep that moving part in mind underneath and then keep this in mind as well. We talked a lot about the first part of the theme for A New World, both in back in episode 33 and in last week's musical analysis episodes. But get this melody in your mind and it'll sound like it's in a different key. It is. But I'll explain more about that in a second. This is the melody from the first part of the theme. Now, I want you to strike those chords that you heard underneath out of your mind because that's not what works here. What he does is he's positioned that particular melody so that it works against the serpent part that we played earlier. Now, he does change one note in that melody. That last note of the melody, he takes down a half step so that it fits the chord. This is perfectly allowed. It's what we call a variation. And you still get the sense that here is Mary, her serpent theme. So it's about Mary with those triplet rhythms underneath and those chords underneath. But it's about Mary discovering something important about this new world. And this is when she sees Shraff, when she sees dust. And it's a brilliant combination. In fact, this entire official soundtrack album for this week I think is probably my favorite so far because there are so many little allusions to a lot of themes and he interweaves themes and really tells a story with the music. But I'm getting off track here, so think about those triplet chord tones underneath and the Mulefa melody on top. And as Mary is discovering dust by looking through the amber spyglass, this is what we get.
Just love it. Absolutely brilliant. Now, Mr. Goldsmith on YouTube has commented that we don't give the authority enough props. And I don't really have a whole lot to say about the authority yet. I think we're going to get a lot of great music regarding the authority in the last two episodes of this series. However, I do think that we can talk about some of the authority's agents, such as the Magisterium. In other words, we need some double M talk, more Magisterium talk, or maybe triple M, more Magisterium musical talk. So let's concentrate on McPhail and Gomez for just a minute. Now, there's a theme that's been kind of used, or at least a motive that has been used, because it's been shaped through a whole lot of different harmonies for Father President McPhail throughout the course of this season. One of the more interesting ones, and one of the more dissonant ones, and one that sounded very creepy, was near the beginning of Episode 5, when McPhail was fixing to touch Mrs. Coulter's demon, and Father Gomez questioned him on it. One of the things that makes it really creepy is the fact that there are very high strings in there, which always creates tension, plus the notes that the strings are playing. There's two different notes being played, and those two notes are very close together. The closer you get notes together, the more it creates a cluster, and that always creates tension. Clusters create more tension than notes that are further apart. But the motif itself again, can be exhibited in a whole lot of different ways because it consists of going up a half step, returning, and then dropping to some note. It doesn't even matter what the low note is. Just as long as it's at least a major third away, then you get this sense of the bottom dropping out. You get the tension of the two notes and then the bottom dropping out. And that motive is very effective because it can be used then over multiple keys. For instance... In the scene that I am talking about, and this again has those high string dissonances in it, it sounds like this. Yet towards the end of the episode, it's almost like a couple of the chords actually move with the motive, especially when it drops out. And usually it's two minor chords that aren't usually connected very well, or at least don't fit in the same key, that follow each other. And that makes everything really uncomfortable because you start to get what we call parallel movement. The parallel movement of minor chords. Minor chords are typically dark, typically sad, while major chords are typically happy or hopeful. But you get that movement from one minor key to another minor key that's not related, even though it's all in the same piece, it feels very disturbing to us. That occurred at the end of the episode when Father McPhail was trying to sacrifice himself for the bomb. It sounded like this. And keep that in mind because we're going to revisit that part a little later on when we talk about Mrs. Coulter, because I always have something to say about Mrs. Coulter, right? But that's a motive to keep in mind for Father McPhail. And I'm betting if you go back and you really listen to the music anytime Father McPhail's on the screen, you're going to hear that motive, perhaps with different harmonies underneath all the time, perhaps every time. 
but you'll hear that melodic shape in a lot of his scenes. Now, of course, Father Gomez calls McPhail out on all of this shenanigans with a demon, but he has decided that he is going to punish himself by going and killing Mary, the serpent. Yes, let's repent our sins by contemplating more sins, which makes zero sense, but neither does Father Gomez. But we've talked about his theme before. Again, go back to episode 33, so I don't really need to break it down. But one thing that I really did love about this particular version is the way that the melody moves over a single note. We call that a pedal tone, when there's just one note in the bass and everything moves over it. Regardless of whether the chords change or not, that creates a lot of tension. Now, you can find this cut in the official soundtrack for this week, for episodes 5 and 6, under the title... The Zealous. But the first thing I want to do is demonstrate to you the difference between the two sides of it. The first half of the theme, again, is over a pedal tone. And that creates a lot of tension, like this. And then the second part of the theme, the restatement of the phrase, more or less, the chords do move. And they don't always move to places that feel very comfortable, particularly between the first and the second chord, because the second chord is another minor that can exist in certain instances of a minor melodic scale, such as the ascending melodic scale. Again, these are terms you don't need to know, especially when those notes are traveling down. But what it does do is it really opens it up. Where we had a big tension in the first part, now everything feels big and it starts to feel real. And those odd chords in there and some held notes while other ones move really starts to make us fear Father Gomez. We visited Ruta Scotti earlier and her theme from season two. Let's talk about a couple of characters that we haven't seen since season two. Great, yet in the same way terrible reunions for Lyra and Will both. But let's talk about Lee Scoresby. Now, he's had a theme established since season one. It was fun. And then it got a little more graduated towards season two and especially the end when he died. And now he's in the land of the dead. And as he sees Lyra, his melody is actually combined with Lyra's prophecy theme. But first, let's just remind you what Lee's theme sounds like. And the way that Mr. Balf combines Lee's theme with Lyra's prophecy theme is pretty intricate and, as usual, very clever. 
because it's something you might miss, you shouldn't miss, because that melody of Lee's is playing louder than everything else at that point. And it's when he's actually trying to catch up to them because I guess he's heard that it's Lyra or something. But it's before they actually see each other that you hear his theme. You just see the back of him and his hat, of course. And you know it's him, but the theme definitely tells you. So those combined sound like this. And then as they hug, we actually get Lyra's more adventuresome theme, one that was associated with her going north and some of her adventures with Lee Scoresby. And there are plenty of instances of that theme as well, and we'll get to some of those, or I'll at least cite them. But then she introduces Lee to Will, and once Will shows Lee the knife, we actually hear that motif that we've associated mostly with a guitar with Lee, that ba 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 bum And finally, towards the end of that scene, when he tells everybody that he'll be going to the back to wrangle up stragglers, because it's the one part of the Lee theme that we haven't heard. We've heard the lick, we've heard the melody, or at least part of it. So you gotta have the chords, and we get the chords at the end as he's walking away from them towards the back. I love that. That was fantastic. By the way, you can find the Lee Scoresby one under the name the An Old Friend on the official soundtrack for episodes 5 and 6. Again, Lorne takes his themes and he splits them up. He creates them so they can be split up, so that he can use different pieces of them to allude to the same thing and apply them to different situations, sometimes with different harmonies, sometimes with not, sometimes in conjunction with other themes. That way, each theme has its own fluidity to it that can be applied to any musical narrative. Another instance of that is another theme that we haven't heard since season two. And that's the theme for The Shaman, for Will's dad, for John Perry, or Jopri, or whatever you want to call him. That's fine with me. I just loved seeing this character back. We knew he was dead, so why wouldn't we see him, right? But I loved it. Uh, now, if you recall... The theme for Will Perry's dad was used sparringly but effectively throughout season two. And its f most full version is actually found in Mr. Balfe's season two anthology under the title The Shaman. And that melody we hear when Lee and Lyra and Will are talking and Lee puts it together that Will is John Perry's son. That melody sounds like this. But now here's something interesting because it wasn't used a whole lot in season two, but it was part of the original anthology theme. There is a motive, kind of an ostinato pattern that happens underneath the melody. In this episode, as John is giving the final piece of advice to his son, Will, and that's after several moments of them being together, cutting back to Lyra, 
and Roger and then cutting back to them, we actually hear that motive being the key thing accompanying John Perry's advice to his son. And you can actually find that cut on the official soundtrack under the track Father and Son. And again, the motive that wasn't really used a whole lot in season two, but was part of the original thing from the anthology, is what features in this piece to represent John Perry. And the other harmony stuff that happens, again, Lauren using a dichotomy, splitting themes up, using different parts and adding different emotional context through different harmonies or whatever. But the motive is what's featured as he gives the advice to Will. And in actuality, the cut continues and the melody gets bigger shaped and everything. It really becomes a really beautiful piece. But since we're not likely to get any more John Perry... I'll just leave it with that, with the things that we know, or kind of know, about John Perry's music, The Shaman. I mentioned that I would talk about some of the themes that I'm not really going to break down, but like Lyra's prophecy theme, there are some really good versions throughout the courses of these two episodes. When she's talking to Roger and he says that he's lost all hope, uh, it's interesting, the timbres there are like bells and very short notes. And then when he tells her to stop and he walks away from her again, then you add the strings playing the Lyra prophecy theme and it really sells the emotion of that. It's also used, as I mentioned before, in conjunction with that Lee Scoresby melody before it then goes into Lyra's adventure theme. There's a really great version of Lyra's prophecy theme after she makes the deal with Gracious Wings in episode six and then hollers down to everybody to tell the harpies their stories. Uh, That's a great version of the prophecy theme too. And as you can tell, as we get to the end of this episode, this theme really applies because now Serafina Pekla and of course Mrs. Coulter and Asriel are all realizing that she is by doing this, actually fulfilling part of her prophecy. So it was important to have that theme in this particular episode. Another theme that we heard a lot of, you've heard me mention it already, Lyra's uh, more playful theme, her more of her adventure theme. That was used some with Lee Scoresby as well. It was called Scholastic Sanctuary in the original anthology. It's a waltz. It's a beautiful melody. It sounds like this. used a lot in these especially when they do things like uh tell their stories um you know because it makes the memories warm and 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 that's her telling the stories with roger at jordan college and and lee in the north telling those tales to the people who need to hear stories in order to remember who they are really emotional stuff for me seeing these people who don't have 
memories of who they were anymore. It's the it's the worst part about dying, right? Is that you know everything you did to you, it's over. Um, so that's that's horrifying. But I love the way that these stories bring these people back in touch with themselves. One uh, of the versions of this that really stands out are her and Roger talking about being on the rooftops and you get the flashbacks of them when they were younger and the use of the bell and the glockenspiel really emphasizes innocence, uh, which I just loved. Uh, And it uses primarily the second half of the melody. Now, there's a couple of things in the OST where you can hear the versions of these as well. When uh, Roger and her are talking about being on the roof and, and didn't know how they got in the cellars and everything, that cut on the official soundtrack for episodes five and six is called The Porter's Key. Love that. And again, as I said, in old, an old friend track, you can hear a really good version of it as she's giving Lee a hug. Another really good version is when Lyra and Roger are talking about the balloon ride in, I think that's episode six. There are plenty of versions of the main theme as well present in these two episodes. I'll just cite them really quickly. There's a very nice subtle version of the main theme, I think mostly in the piano, and there's just a snippet of it, but it's as Lyra is making her way through the crowd to speak right before her and Will actually get up there and tell the dead that they need to leave. And another great version was in episode six, as Gracious Wings saved Lyra from falling in the abyss. As she's hanging on to Gracious Wings' claws, you hear a really pronounced version there. I really loved that version. And that brings us to just one more topic. Of course, it has to be Mrs. Coulter. So many different versions of her theme throughout the course of the series, and it seems like every single episode there's a new way to twist it up. Mr. Balf does a great job with it. There's one near the beginning of episode five when we first see her in a cell that there's actually a chord change, which is not something that he normally does. At the same time, there's not really a presence of the melody either, but you know it's Mrs. Coulter because all of the other chords are the same. It's just the last chord of each phrase gets changed to a two chord instead of the usual either going down to the minor three or going from the minor three up to the four. Don't worry about these numbers. They don't mean anything, but you will hear the difference in the way that it sounds. There's also this pulsing that goes on that is resemblant of the danger motif that is often associated with her, but it's just a static note. It makes you look at Mrs. Coulter in a whole different way because she's kind of vulnerable here. That's actually what that bass line going down to the second note of the scale as opposed to the third or the fourth note of the scale does. It makes everything more vulnerable because it feels like it needs to resolve. But here's what that sounds like.
love that version. But there are so many great versions of Mrs. Coulter's theme. I, I mean, like I said, is, is there any episode where there isn't? Uh, the talk with Serafina Pekla comes to mind. That one was great as well. I think, for me, the two best versions for this particular episode are at the end of episode five and the end of episode six. And I'm just going to talk about the one at the end of episode six. I'm not going to break it down any, but the one at the end of episode six, when she's talking to her demon, when she's apologizing, when she's asking for the demon to reunite, very moving. It's subtle, and it also feels tentative in the way that it's orchestrated. Really loved that version. Also, just Ruth Wilson's acting probably even helped Mr. Balfe's score there a little bit, uh, just as his score can often help other actors' stuff feel bigger. The one that I really want to break down, though, is at the end of episode five, because, man, this is an absolute triumph of an example of how to just create tension. Now, you can find it on the official soundtrack for this week called Explosive Exit. And I promised you that we were going to talk more about the McPhail theme. This is the piece where the McPhail theme comes back in. It starts off with this like amazing pulsing when Lord Roke gets in front of McPhail. And then, of course, McPhail grabs him and, and ends up killing him. So it's almost like the Coulter melody and the McPhail melody are fighting with each other, just as we're seeing them fighting on screen. You hear the first part of the Coulter melody when she struck, when she's strangling him. You hear the McPhail melody answer in the lower register as he gets on top of her. And then as she's struggling back, you hear the second part of her melody. And it all works together with these little pulses from the strings. It's really amazing as they struggle against each other. And all of that sounds like this. Well, naturally, it sounds better with a full orchestra than just on a piano. But that's, those are the notes that are being played, and I loved it. Did you hear the little McPhail melody in there in the lower register? Well, if you didn't catch it, you get to hear it again because he wakes up, and that's when we hear his theme fully pronounced. And then as Mrs. Coulter sees that he's strapped himself in, she tries to, of course, stop the machine and he's taken the key, but the Coulter chords return again. But that pulsing that we had at the very beginning of this now is doubled. It's 16th notes instead of 8th notes. And that raises our heart rate even more. Our heart rate is quickened and we get really tense because of that 16th note pulse. But not only that, we get really tense because it is a full half step out of key. It doesn't fit really with the key at all. It's a half step off. And what we know about symmetry, a half step, because there is no way to divide between two notes right next to each other, a half step creates symmetry. And that's one of the most uncomfortable feelings we have. Think like 
the psycho chords from the shower scene. Those are the kinds of dissonances that we're talking about. And it sounds really awful on the piano, but it really, really works well because it's spread out over a whole orchestra and the mix is better than I can do anything on a piano. So it'll just sound wrong when I do it, but it just sounds really tense when the orchestra does it. Not only that, but there is a counterline that goes over the very top. And the counterline utilizes the flat fifth. What is the flat fifth? It's a tritone. A tritone is another symmetrical unit in music. And we hate symmetrical units when it comes to harmony. We love it in our beats, but we hate it in our harmony. So that makes everything even feel even more frantic on top of all of that. And that creates even more of a tension that's almost too much for our hearts to bear as we realize that it's too much for her heart to bear. She's trying to save her daughter. And once again, this is spread out over a whole bunch of different things. The chords that are building in the last part are voices. There's brass, there's strings, there's synths. And it makes it all blend so that it doesn't sound quite as wrong as it will on the piano here. Loved, loved, loved Lauren Bauf's score this time around. Absolutely amazing, a fabulous. The guy continues to pull things together, as you heard. He's bringing themes into the same time to pay off old ideas and bring new situations to those old ideas. I was actually more emotionally moved just by the score and what Lauren was doing than I was by the story itself, which, you know, that just happens to me. I'm that kind of nerd sometime. But it was a great couple of episodes, and Holly and I will be back soon to talk about those episodes uh, within a day. We'll be back to talk about the story of it. So be sure to get your feedback in so that we can share it and uh, we can all have a good cry with you. Take care. You're listening to The Dust, a His Dark Materials podcast. Tweet the podcast at The Dust Podcast. Send emails to mattsaudioblog at gmail.com and find all back episodes and other information at mattsaudioblog.com. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Part of Double P Media, doublepmedia.com.